Greetings, walkers and photographers. My name is Brian Formals. I'm a photographer, pedestrian, and creative consultant. This is my new podcast about walking, mapping, and photography. Each week, I'm going to share stories, analysis, and interviews around these topics. The goal is to help you stay informed and hopefully inspired to get out there and pursue your own creative projects about walking and photography. I'm excited to be back behind the mic with another podcast. Uh, A few years ago, I hosted a podcast called The LPV Show. Each week, we brought on a guest photographer to talk about their practice and share a few photo books from their collections. It was a lot of fun to learn from such brilliant photographers and see their photo books. Uh, You can find all of the old episodes on this feed or on my website. I'll drop a link in the notes. There's some great spreads from the photo books that I think a lot of you will find, find interesting. Lastly, before we get rolling, I also have a weekly newsletter. Of course I do. I love newsletters. I think they're the best way to stay connected with people and share your projects and your ideas. If you don't have one, I encourage you to start a newsletter today. Mine arrives every Sunday and covers projects that revolve around walking, mapping, and photography, as well as some links to interesting photography, walking, and mindfulness articles that I find during the week. You can subscribe at blog.brianformals.com. And as always, if you want to drop me an email, you can send it to info at brianformals.com. I love learning about your projects and hearing your feedback. Got some good walking stories over the last couple of years, so keep them coming. Again, it's info at brianformals.com. All right, let's dive into this week's episode. So in the first segment, the photography segment, I'm going to share my thoughts and analysis of this new app, Glass. It's getting a lot of hype around it, and um, I think a lot of people are interested in, in how that will play out. I have some thoughts that maybe perhaps you might want to take a, a second look at it before committing too much time. After that, I uh, take a look at a really great photo book called Raising Frogs for Money by Jason Fulford, uh, a book filled with mystery and got me going down some rabbit holes that I think uh, uh, might be insightful. So I'll be talking about that book and I'll try to make that a regular feature too as well, digging into some photo books for my collection. So that'll be the first segment. Uh, in this the walking segment, I'm going to ask the question, so what do we consider a long walk? Kind of share my ideas around that and then a little bit deeper in when we are on our long walks. Are we gathering intelligence? Are we gathering time? Some of these ideas I think are really interesting. Through the internet, I found an interesting article about the uh, football player, uh, Lionel Messi, and his walking strategy, which I found fascinating. And then a great quote overall about walking from Craig Maud, who's one of the, I'd say, really talented writer and photographer who talks a lot about um, walking. So that'll cover this week's episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's the photography segment. I've been on Instagram, I think, pretty much since the start. And I can't say that I've necessarily scaled up and been successful like a lot of other people. A lot of other photographers had tremendous success on Instagram. I am not one of those photographers, but I like Instagram. I get to follow a lot of people that I've met over the years, and and I like using the story. So it works for me. I wish a lot more people like my photographs, but I'm I'm kind of content. I do understand there's a lot of fatigue with Instagram these days just because of the algorithm. There's problems with that. The censorship is very real and, 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 and harms a lot of artists and it's unfair and you got that problem. But it's also just a very cluttered app. You got Reels, you got IGTV, you know, you got the photo feed. And then you got Instagram stories. So a lot of people use Instagram stories. I like Instagram stories and I think that's the thing. But the feed's also really good too. 
they made that announcement where it's like, we don't really consider ourselves a photo app anymore. And they're just kind of explicitly going to take on TikTok. I think that really was, it felt like maybe the last straw for a lot of photographers, but it doesn't seem like there has really been an exodus, but there's just this kind of hunger for an alternative that's really for photographers. And and one of them, those apps that it was getting a lot of buzz is Glass. It was an, it been an invite only app and it's been in development for a while. And so uh, Glass is founded by Tom Watson and Stefan um, Bourget, um, who are kind of you know veterans of the tech world. And on their site, say Glass is an independent company. We charge for our product. We haven't taken any venture capital or outside funding. With your help, we're building a sustainable home for photographers on the internet. So it's got a lot of good press from Am Malik, Daring Fireball, and just you know generally doing everything right in terms of like doing a product launch and. So a lot of buzz and I got in and I got my invite and got in right away and I started uploading a couple of photographs and I'd say the app is nice. The UX is, is, is nice. It didn't necessarily feel, you know, revolutionary. It felt like there was some stuff, especially around discovery that they need to work on. Most of the people I was connected to were other photographers that I had already known. And I suppose that's on me. That's my fault. But, you know, I did find some other folks as well too. And you know, I, I would say it didn't necessarily feel like I was discovering a ton of other photography that I might not see anywhere else. Something didn't necessarily feel urgent about it. I guess if you're going to disrupt, you know, people's app use and what they're doing online, you, there's got to be kind of some like urgency to it. I've heard other people talk about it really, really glowingly and they like it, you know, so... I gave it a shot and I really just, I, I don't, I felt like I could not pull the trigger on the twenty nine uh, ninety nine. I believe in paying for apps and that we should pay for things that we find really valuable and that there's a, tons of benefits to paying for our software and the services. You know, we get cluttered with the advertising. So, you know, I totally understand that. And I think it's, you know, I don't want to say it's a bold move, but it's, you know, it's the decision that they made strategically to keep it more focused on photography. But for me, I just couldn't see the added value. And I think perhaps maybe it's where I am in my in my career. Big tent photography isn't necessarily as interesting to me as it maybe once was. I'm really down into a niche now where I'm looking for folks that are focused on walking and photography, the landscape, mapping, all of these kind of things. And I've always, of course, been a, a big um, photo book person. And you get you know, deeper into the photo book side, you know whether that's academic photography, fine art photography, what have you. So I didn't, you know, I didn't just knowing that kind of territory where I've been in before talking to a lot, I don't see a lot of like those folks necessarily jumping on glass either. So I couldn't justify, you know, spending the money, but I think if people are looking for that alternative, this is a good thing to try out, you know, and you may have a different experience than me. You might, it might really kind of resonate more deeper with you if you're in a different place with your photography and what you're looking for from, from an app. Like, I, I think that's a smart thing. One thing I would be aware of, there's a chance that this doesn't, it doesn't work and they just kind of fold out and maybe you spend a lot of time building an audience there and then oops there's really going to be no way to take your audience with you that you spent time building and that's that's true with any social media twitter instagram whatever but so that's really why i like newsletters because newsletters i jumped from mailchimp to substack to ghost and i took my list with me to each new platform and it did not matter some design stuff might change but other than that you really the, as a as an audience member as a um, someone receiving it doesn't matter to you but really just that 
that you can take that list with you is super important to me. But I also just fundamentally believe in newsletters as a way to communicate and share your projects and your ideas. And I really think it's, if you're looking for some type of alternative or way to reach your audience or connect with them on a deeper level, I think you should try newsletters. It's a little bit more work, but I think you'll find it more rewarding, but you got to be committed to it as well too. Uh, with photographers, though, you have a lot of assets. You know, you can just share photos, share stories about photos. It doesn't need every week doesn't need to be an epic, you know, blog post or essay. So sometimes I think you can just you know keep it more minimal and just share a story about a photograph or share ten new photographs. There's tons and tons of newsletters as well too. Everything's competitive, but I think if you're kind of looking for an alternative, I would try newsletters. But jump into Glass. I definitely maybe I could be wrong in a year from now. I'll be regret not uh, sticking around and, and with it. So it's one of those things with a, a new product. You take a chance on it, and you know sometimes it works out, sometimes not. So, but I'd love to hear your feedback and see what you think about Glass and your experience and the photographers that you're meeting. All right. So next on the agenda is. Is a couple of weeks ago, I finally opened up the the boxes with all my photo books in them as they've been sitting here since I you know arrived in New York and I just didn't have the will to open them and and kind of dive into the photo books. I it just wasn't ready for it. So, but I finally did. Finally opened up the photo books and I pulled them out. One of the first ones I pulled out was Raising Frogs for Money. And it's by Jason Fulford, who's somewhat of a legend in the photo book world for his elliptical, ambiguous, playful photo books. So like, he's just kind of a fascinating you know, thinker as well too. The way he approaches photo books, the way he approaches photographies. <laughs> I pulled this one out because there was a, an interview with him in Lens Scratch, and that just, it just kind of sparked my, you know, remembering of his approach where he called himself like a collector. And I really like that idea these days of the photographer as the collector, as I spoke earlier about gathering time or gathering intelligence, where you're a forager, you're, you know, bringing something back. There's something like, I think, deep into our psychology of like going out and collecting and bringing things back. So I really like that. I knew he had this approach to a collector. He had the, a famous book called The Mushroom Collector, which is hard to get, but I actually have a copy coming. <laughs> you know, that's, a, I think, like a, a trade edition or something. But anyways, I have a copy. But it's a legendary book, and it's called The Mushroom Collector. And I think that's what he goes by on Instagram, too. So it's kind of his thing, right? So I found this interview he did with Aaron Schumann, another great photography thinker with some amazing books and works himself. And they had a really good conversation. And again, I'll, I'll drop the link um, in the notes. And here's the choices. The collector I'm thinking of is a scavenger whose mode is to wander. He enters the woods with an open mind. He might find a scarlet elf cup or a hen of the woods. He may come home with nothing but an empty pack of cigarettes. The collecting happens over many years. The analogy continues when he comes to editing, making sense of the mess. Presentation is considered. Similar items are compared. The weak examples are discarded. The collector asks, is there an audience for this? Is supplementary information necessary? Is the collection explanatory or mysterious? What ties the various elements together? The collector's personal interests or a predetermined set of categories? Is it about repetition or variety? Does the collection continue to grow or is it now closed like i push that out beyond now to like collecting ideas and collecting thoughts experiences and and i don't know to me collecting places when i'm out i, I often use google maps like notate a place and every time i stop back that place whether it's standing on a tree stump or i find the desire path or whatever the the pedestrian bridge i mark every time i cross it and this is collecting these moments of when i'm entering into these space. So I really like that. But, but furthermore, the book is just kind of an amazing, amazing book is it, um, 
he sets it up in chapters and the chapters have short titles. I had it went and made photos of the book so I could share them online and but it was very meddy with the ring light. But here you go, the content. So like one of them is forget everything you have ever learned is chapter one, making a map of France. Another one's called Pattern Integrity, Simple Feelings, Frog Talk. And then each each chapter is just the photos. You know, they're sequence sometimes it's like one photo on each page, sometimes multiple photos. So he really plays with the sequencing and you can I guess you can get lost in you know, trying to decipher what the hell's going on. I, I just pitched through it because that's the way I go through photo books. I, I was thinking like there's something I'm missing here and I couldn't, I put it away and I put it down and went out for a walk a couple of days later. I picked it up again, I paged through and then I get to the end. Aha. So at the end, Fulford has an index of all the photos, which is a common thing in photo books. You kind of see it, they give an index. And, and the key thing is, is he shows like the location and the year he made it. So he's introducing the geography, the place, and the year at the end of the book. This has to be intentional. Jason Fulford isn't going to make a book this way and not do do this intentionally, right? Not in his photo book DNA, I don't think. Um, and it was really fascinating because now I'm looking at like all these places and I'm like, well, this is kind of a travel book. He's all over the world. He's all, you know, over a couple different years. And I change the way I think about sequencing. I go and I write my blog post, I share it, and I'm like, oh, this is, I figured it out. I know what was gnawing at me about, you know, uh, you know raising raising frogs for money. And I was like, all right, great. That was, that's kind of cool. And then literally Blake Andrews sends me an email. I don't know if you're familiar, but there's like notes on uh, raising frogs for money. And it's like this crazy like Cliff Notes book that explains it and goes into these theories and all this stuff. And I was like, what the hell? That, that was the thing. I, I knew about that. I remembered that was part of it, but I totally forgot about it and it just never dawned on me. I guess I should have done more Google research or whatever when I was, I was looking at this. So I went and I bought the the notes on raising frogs from money. <laughs> Maybe it's in my mailbox. I just haven't checked, but I got to go and I'm going to find this and then I'm going to follow up and we'll kind of keep this on this dialogue with raising frogs for money and see, you know, kind of where it takes me. Maybe at some point we'll get a, a Blake on here too or, you know, I don't know, Fulford might be too famous to, <laughs> to come talk, you know, on this, but I would really, you know, I'm, I'm curious now of, of where this leads. So how long are your average walks? Please, I want you to email me and tell me how long your walks are, because I'm this is one of those topics that really is truly fascinating. I write a lot about walking, but... There's a lot of different types of walks that you can take. And one of the variables is how long are you out walking? And there was a recent article in The Independent in the UK where I guess out on Reddit, there was some a lot of conversation and a little bit of controversy on how much people in the UK walk relative to people in the United States. And the, the idea was that 30 minutes is a really long walk. And it just was like... You know, for me, that's not a long walk at all. That's a quick stroll during lunch. But, you know, not that it's not valuable or that it's not important to go on those type of walks. When I'm talking about walking in general, I'm talking about long day walks. And these tend to be anywhere from 7 to 20 miles. It equates to four or five hours out walking. And it really takes that focused stretch of time for me to get into flow state. I view it the way you would a sporting event. A football game might last three and a half hours. A baseball game can last all day or four hours or what have you. But I kind of look at it that um, 
period of time as an event when I'm going out and I'm working and I'm thinking. And that's really when I when I'm talking about walking, <laughs> it's really about those long walks. But that's not the only way to approach it. You know, someone like Craig Mode, who's really just one of the essential thought leaders in this territory for him. It's all about the multi-day walks. So he plans out these months in advance and they're like sometimes over three weeks. And on those, you're really stringing together multiple days of seven to 15 miles. And that's, you You go into a whole other mindset when you're doing that. And I know from a little bit of experience this past March when I was leaving New York and I was like, go for my job. I had more time than I normally would to wake up every day and go out on these walks. And I really just kind of ate it up. But like, I knew I was leaving and this is what I wanted to do. I got a lot of momentum on that. And you enter a totally different mental space. So I think those long multi-day walks are super fascinating. Um, I want to do one. My plan is to walk from St. Cloud to Minneapolis, which might take four or five days, depending on how I do it. I got to figure it out. Inspired by my friend, Alex Wolf, who he walked from Brooklyn all the way to Philadelphia. He put it together nicely. I think he's going to be putting a book on it, but we'll, we'll talk to Alex at some point down the line as we're have a few interesting collaborations going on. So I'm interested in those multi-day walks. And if you get into the world of hiking, you know, you're talking about through hiking and that's you know, months maybe. And that's a whole other thing. You get into that type of stuff and pilgrimages and all of that. It's really fascinating, but a little bit beyond my my direct experience. So I saw that with interest this week of like, you know, how long are your walks? And I'm seeing some good comments on Twitter as well, too, where people are jumping in and sharing, you know, what they consider a long walk. And it's really interesting, the synchronicity of when people walk to morning for me is kind of like the idea when you have the most energy, your mind is clear, you wake up from your dreams and your subconscious is synthesizing all these ideas. And then you eat a good breakfast and you get out the door, you get your caffeine in you and like, boom, you're out on the walk. That's the most invigorating. That's when I feel the most alive is like, yes, now I'm on this journey, you know, this four or five hour journey. There's something special and magical happens on that. And I think because I've had such that a profound experience with those long walks and pushing myself these last few years is really why I'm kind of here now trying to articulate these ideas, articulate the importance of it so that other people who want to push themselves to do it will push through their barrier and do it. Part two of this initial walking dialogue here is that this is time. And four or five hours is no joke. You have to make time for it. And, you know, through my life, I've always scheduled when I'm working a full-time job, I schedule the walks on my vacation, the weekends, days off, whatever it is. I'm always trying to take an opportunity. And you learn you kind of have, do get a good chunk of time <laughs> from work and you can accomplish a lot if you're focused on that one thing. And that's kind of what I've done, I would say, since, you know, maybe 2013 or so it was really work on these kind of walking projects and photography projects whenever I can. And that means I don't, I don't travel much. I never really left New York city. It's a couple of vacations, one to Philadelphia and one to the grand Canyon and Denver. And I'm not a traveler. I'm a local. When I sat down somewhere local, that's my territory. That's my geography. 12 years in New York was a long time. I still have a ton of stuff, a ton of walking experience there, and it's going to take me a lifetime to synthesize that experience. And the relationship to time, our perception of time, and our experience of time has ingrained itself deeper into my philosophy, my thinking, and how I approach these projects. I believe that we gain time. It's additive. When you're out there walking for four or five hours, you are adding time. You're experiencing more time because those novel experiences of walking, that novelty keeps your brain young. It keeps your imagination firing. And that's how you 
develop these deeper memories. And for me, I think you, it changes your relationship with time. How much time do you spend on a walk? I, I truly do want to know. So if you hear this, please drop me a line. And maybe in, in the next episode, I'll share out a couple of these too. So again, please feel free to drop me a line. It's info at brianformals.com. Would you imagine that there's a lot of walking news every week? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. In my mind, walking and nature and, and parks go together. So when I'm talking about walking news or transportation news, it's all bundled into walking, transportation, parks, nature, and those, those kind of, and trees, right? <laughs> That's another um, favorite thing. So I'm going to try to bundle all this into one section and see how that goes. And we'll just kind of, <laughs> well, I'll experiment over time. You know, I guess obviously it'll be uh, dependent on, you know, what the hell's going on during the week. This week on Twitter, James um, Prochnik, who runs a New York photo community um, newsletter. It's really great. I'll drop that in, into the uh, links that you can check out. He pinged me and he had this great thread on Lionel Messi, footballer, soccer player, right? One of the most famous uh, in, in the world. It's about how he walks during the matches. It's kind of an unusual approach. The Trung fan is the person on Twitter who shared it and did the great analysis. And so for years, observers mocked Messi for overwalking, right? A 538 article tracked Messi's distance covered versus other players. And he was by far the least active. So it's this fascinating thread and breakdown. There's some screenshots of kind of him where he sides himself in the field. It's all very strategic. And it gets to like the number six in the thread and it says, uh, Messi is a, a walking computer taking in all the info and expending energy at the most opportune times. Here are quotes from his former manager, Ernesto of Valverde and Man City manager, Pepe so gradually as the match goes on, um, as he, he moves in a little by little. He knows perfectly where the rival's weaknesses are. You have to pay attention when he moves away. He spends his match walking. He's always analyzing the situation. When he receives the ball, he has a complete analysis of space and time in his head. He knows where every player is and boom. He's a walker on the field and he uses walking to analyze his visual spatial intelligence and just understanding and using your memory, that chess game with people. And I kind of relate it back to when you're working out in the field. And this is a photographer you're trying to find that right angle and, and, and understand how people move in the flow of the city, analyzing how people flow through the streets and how they walk. You can walk around and, and get into a different angle and you predict and, and anticipate. And that's great. Street photographers are great at anticipating and understanding that. So I think there's some related to that, but even for me, out in the field, it's how you take in the entire landscape, the entire geography, and, and, and walking you know, through the space. You pick up these insights and this analysis and, and, and how you want to go about making a picture. Where are you going to, I think you just build the, over time that intuition of where to go, where to stand. It's pattern recognition. If you walk similar types of places, you're going to start learn these things. And I think it's super fascinating. So I'm going to drop that link and you should check it out. And so next thing, you probably end up talking about this guy a lot, Craig Bowen, because he drops the ideas like left and right. Craig is is a multi-talented guy, programmer, designer, writer, photographer, philosopher, thinker, and he's got this creative skill stack that's a little bit unmatched, and it's fascinating to see it all, all come together. Sometimes on Twitter, you'll see Craig talk about like programming crazy stuff, and it's like, he's just on everything, man. He's working on a different level. So I always like read, you know, what he's up to all. Uh, super smart on the creator economy too he's obviously running his um subscription platform he earns his living doing that and he's probably one of the rare people that's pulled that off so he did an interview um with this publication called every 
and every is a, do I want to call it a Zoomer publication? It's kind of one of these new crop of younger publications that take a look at business and, and they're focused on the creator economy, but productivity and business in general. And they did an interview with him and, and, and I want to read this quote. So for me, a walk is a tool or platform upon which I can build sort of like an operating system. When I become fully immersed in walk mode, the operating system begins to hum along, becoming almost autonomous. And I find the experience of this incredibly empowering. It just feels like the world in my place within it vibrates at a higher, more finely tuned level. I realize this sounds somewhat insane, and I suppose that's true. But a long walk contains within it the act of losing your mind, the long hours, the endless kilometers. On a properly executed long walk, it feels like the world pops from HD to 4K in terms of detail and texture, if that makes any sense. So this is a beautiful quote. <laughs> Definitely read the full article, and I think maybe you would be into every two. If you're kind of into these creator economy stuff, it's an interesting publication. I think it's paid, so you might get a few free things to look at. But you can always like subscribe to Craig's uh, newsletter as well, too. It's a He's got a couple of them, weekly and, and a monthly. He's always dropping knowledge, and he's even shares like other Walker stories. He's definitely worth subscribing to. So the last, this old article, is on how to thank Parks, and it was in Vice, and it's by Katie Way. So he writes about some of these these issues to parks and urbanism. The pandemic showed how important it is public parks for are for us. They're just chronically underfunded, and they get their funding cut all the time. They have problems with trash, and... People aren't clearing out the weeds. So we need to fund the parks. And, and I'm just like, fund the parks. Quote, Another way to show up for parks is to literally show up. Seek out more park and recreation events and programming to attend, she said. The more attendance that they have at events and the more that they can show that people are using their programs, that gives them leverage to go back to the city government and say, hey, our programs are being used. We need more funding. Basically help parks put city money where your mouth is. Sipping on something fruity, a little alcoholic, enjoying public life, and feeling relieved while you soak up the sun in your local green space. I'm always walking to a park. If I'm on a long walk, like I said, I'm normally walking to a park. I'm walking to a green space. Green spaces are what interconnects everything. And it's whether it's a big park, small park, little weird green spaces, it really connects everything. So I want everyone to use parks. Please, go to your park. Take a walk to your park. That's your mission. Take your long walk and you're going to find a park and you're going to use it. And then you're going to tell everyone this is an amazing park. And I, I found a tree stump to stand on because Brian said, go stand on a tree stump for five minutes and you'll get a different perspective while you're visiting the park. So that's what I want you to do is go find a tree stump in a park and get back to me. And I'll see you next week.